Let's hear the word of God. Our food for this morning from Romans 15, verses 14 through 21. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see And those who have never heard will understand. Let's take our seats. Let's pray together. Lord, here we are again. For some of us, this building is very familiar. We know every crook and cranny, every part of this building. We we are very familiar with Cottage Church. That's a good thing, Lord. We have friends here. We recognize people when we come in the door. We feel like we're among family, and we are. We have expectations of what will take place at church, and by and large... We know what's going to happen. We'll sing some songs. We'll hear from the Bible. We'll go home. Those expectations are good. They're the right kind of expectations for us to have. And yet, Lord, familiarity can become a problem. we can become so familiar that we just go through the motions and don't really heed what is happening. It's hard for us, Lord, to find renewal 
refreshment, vitality. Lord, for some of us, um, College Church is new territory, and yet perhaps we come with our own set of expectations. Lord, we pray, all of us together, that this morning we would hear from your word and so be refreshed, renewed. Experience godly vitality. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, go ahead and uh, turn with me to your Bibles. We're looking at that passage that Pastor Eric had read out for us. It's Romans chapter 15. You'll find it in the worship folder as well. Romans 15 and from verses 14 through to 21. Really help you if you can turn it up as we'll be referring to it throughout the next few moments. I like to keep up with my friends, and one of my friends sent me a book that he had written. It's another book of his. He's written several. He's a pastor, a preacher, and I was reading his book this, this week. And in this book, he shares how one of the most important phrases for him as a preacher has become the following, servant of the word. He shares how it has become important for him to recognize the tendency to preach with other motivations. That people afterwards will pat him on the back and say, Very good, exegesis. Or that someone else would say, well, that was a wonderful sermon or something. Or even that instead of being a servant of the word, he would be known as a master of the word with technical expertise. And so he prays that he would come with no other agenda other than as a servant of the word. Now, in the passage we're looking at this morning, there's a fundamental shift that takes place in how Paul is talking to the Romans. Up until now, predominantly, he has been using the following forms, you, and then pointing them to God. But now, he shifts to talk about I. Over and over again throughout this section, look down with me and you'll notice, verse 14, I and variants thereof, I myself, my brothers. Verse 15, I have written to you. And then he goes on to describe why he has written. Verse 17, therefore I glory or boast or am proud about, depending on which translation you're looking at. 
Verse 18, I will not venture to speak of anything except, and he goes on to describe that. Then verse 19, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. And then he really peels back the layers of the onion when he says, verse 20, it has always been my ambition so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. And then in verse 22, which we'll be looking at next week, which functions as a bridge between these two passages, it looks back and then looks forward as well, he says, this is why I. So in this section, Paul is talking a lot about what motivates him, what his inner drives are, why he does what he does. Now, of course, as a pastor or as a preacher, there's a danger here. You can end up talking so much about yourself that you just bore everyone to death. You know, pastor, do we really have to hear again about how beautiful your children are? We'll we'll humor you, but really they're not that beautiful, actually. But then, on the other hand, you can share so little about your inner motivations that people wonder what they are. Paul here, who was not just a pastor, of course an apostle, is sharing what makes him get out of bed in the morning. Why I have written, why I preach, this is my ambition, I am proud about this, this is what I glory in, this is who I am. It resonates deeply with our culture today, for as Martin Lloyd-Jones years ago said, and I think if it was true in his day, it's even more true today, we in our world live in the age of the personality cult. People love to hear about why someone does something and who they really are and share their stuff. Hence the popularity of Facebook. And yet that kind of sharing can, as we all know, be, if not entirely fake, at least presenting a face that is only a vague facsimile with relation to reality. You know, they went on the perfect holiday and they went to the perfect place and they had the perfect experience, but what they don't say on Facebook is just how much they argued when they were there. And so, as the um, Oxford Dictionary put it, the word of the year, 2016, post-truth. We live in a time when people wonder what the real deal is as people present facsimile versions of themselves for gaining an edge or maneuvering or manipulating for a market niche. This has long been predicted. Michel Foucault, who was the great French philosopher, in many ways one of the architects of postmodernity, which is the philosophy that stands behind this post-truth world in which you and I live, he said this about why he wrote. 
Michel Foucault. I am no doubt not the only one who writes in order to have no face. So Michel Foucault did not write to reveal himself. He wrote to hide himself, to present a variety of his identity that could be used for the purpose for which he was writing. Well, Paul is writing about why he does what he does. And as we go through, we'll want to see whether it resonates with the truth. The passage is uh, simply structured in two sections. So uh, verses 14 to 16, why he is writing to them as he has. And then verses 17 through to 21, why he is preaching or ministering or his general ministry, why he is doing what he does, why he is preaching as he does, verses 17 to 21, why he is writing to them as he has, verses 14 to 16, why he is preaching or ministering in general as he does, verses 17 to 21. So let's look down together. Verses 14 to 16, Paul tells them why he has written to them. Now, we've underlined this purpose statement for the letter to the Romans several times in our series in this letter, but it is worth hearing again. So, second half of verse 15, uh, the beginning of verse 15, he says this, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now that's a little bit of a mouthful, I'll warrant you, so let's break it down together. Paul is writing them a bold reminder so that the Gentiles, all the nations, the Jewish nation, the other nations, the Gentiles, all nations, so the nations might receive the gospel and become an offering presentable to God, pleasing and acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit, regenerate, born again through the work of the Holy Spirit and increasingly thereby holy, pure, living in a right way that then would honor God. In summary then, Paul is writing this letter to the Romans as a bold reminder of the gospel of God for the sake of all nations to present the nations as an offering to God. That is his purpose. That is why he is writing. So that the church at Rome would, Jew and Gentile, be established in the depth of the gospel of God so that increasingly they will become a missionary outreach to their city, 
region, and world. And as we will see next week, he's coming to them again soon, hoping, he he thinks he's coming to them again soon, hoping, therefore, that they would help him as he went on to continue his missionary work in Spain. Now, I want you to imagine that you are the recipients of this letter, Roman Christians. Paul is sharing with you, Roman Christians, there you are in your togas, can you see it? Why he has written, what he wants to achieve, what he's hoping will be the effect of why he has written this letter. Roman Christians, therefore, come to church with a vision for how you can bring all nations as an offering to God. That's why he's writing, that you Roman Christians would have that vision. You say, what what does that mean? Well, let's uh, distinguish it and define it from other Uh, philosophies and visions about church. So your church, Romans, is not merely therapeutic. That is concerned with making you feel better. Feeling better is a good thing. But it's not merely therapeutic. Nor it is not merely doctrinal. Doctrinal. Now, again, doctrinal orthodoxy is hugely important. We spend a lot of time making sure that we're on the right page in that regard as a church. Very important. But it's not merely doctrinal that is concerned with making sure we know more and know the right information about the Bible. Not merely. And it is not just introverted, that is um, driven by questions of how to maintain the institution. We want to maintain the institution. Maintaining the institution is a good thing, but it's not merely that. And it is not just or merely extroverted, that is driven by questions of how to market the institution. Market the institution sounds a little crass and sort of unsophisticated, but of course we want people to know about college church. We want them to be attracted to come here and meet Jesus. But it is not merely extroverted, not merely concerned with marketing the institution. What is it then? Evangelical. In its real and original sense. So the word evangelical, and of course there have been other historical and um, sociocultural definitions, but the word evangelical in its original sense comes from the Greek word for gospel. And so they, Roman Christians, they are to be a church that is centered on the concerns of God's gospel. That's what they're to be. That's why he's writing. Every meeting, every conversation, every discussion, every decision, we're not going to go this way, we're going to go that way. Every decision is all, if they listen to Paul's letter to them, to be about digging deep into the meaning of the gospel. So the gospel will go out from them to their city 
and world. Now, we use the word gospel. We need to make sure we understand what it is and define it. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, and you'll see how Paul defines it there. Of course, we've been talking about the gospel throughout the series, but let's make sure we got it straight in our minds. Gospel means literally good news, but how does Paul define this gospel? Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? What is it? Because it is, this is what the gospel is, it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. So that's what it is. The gospel is the power of God. You church are looking for power. You're looking for influence. You're looking to reach people. The gospel is the power of God. And then verse 17, for in the gospel, that's what the gospel is. What's in the gospel? What's the content of it? For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So the content of the message of the gospel is how God gives sinners, for if we need righteousness, then we are sinners, How God gives sinners a right standing with God through faith alone in Jesus. It's the power of God and how God gives sinners a right relationship with him through only faith in Jesus. Paul says, this is why I'm writing every conversation, every discussion, that's the agenda. What is more, he says, that is why I'm writing to you. You pull back the layers of the onion as far as you like when Paul opens up his heart and tells them the real reason, the real agenda, why he's truly writing is all simply because of the gospel. For that gospel is the power of God, and because it's the power of God, it will unite them. And that gospel will multiply them to all nations and to the glory of God. Now, many people have remarked that Paul must be being very diplomatic when he says that he's written them merely a reminder. I mean, who could have thought that the letter to the Romans was just a reminder? It's pretty deep. You know, they must have been the most sophisticated bunch of theologians, the Roman Christians, if it was all like, oh yeah, I heard that before. So in one sense, he is being diplomatic. But in another sense, it truly is a reminder. Everything he has written comes out of the gospel that the Roman Christians received. And in that sense, it is simply a reminder. Because of how you became a Christian through the gospel, therefore, these consequences, these evangelical consequences in its original meaning of gospel, these consequences follow. If you like, what Paul was sharing is what his answer is to the question when he looks in the mirror first thing in the morning and says, who am I and why do I get out of bed? And for him, it's the gospel. And he wants the same to be true of the Roman Christians. 
And you say, well, that's all very well, but is it really worth it? Well, this is the next section then, which he talks about his ministry in general from verses 17 to 21. His proclaiming and preaching that has taken place, as he puts it, verse 19, from Jerusalem all the way to the Roman province of Illyricum, uh, which is roughly speaking modern Albania. And regarding this work, he says uh, in verse 17 that he is proud of it. Now, Paul has already used this word proud or boast early in Romans regarding our status before God um, because it's so secure that in Christ Jesus we can boast about it in the sense of rejoice confidently. So the word, the Greek word behind proud or glory or boast is a rejoice with brave courage and audacity. So he's already said, Romans chapter 5, you can boast about this because God has done it in Christ Jesus. Similarly, now Paul is saying, as he comes towards the end of his letter, because of what he has done is in Christ Jesus. And for God, that is, it is in God's power and for God's glory, he can rejoice confidently or boast or in this sense, be proud about it. There is a place for rejoicing about what God is doing through your work in Christ Jesus. Now, that is very different from self congratulatory pride but it does not honor God not to rejoice in what God is doing does it when the work is done in God's power and is for God's glory we may boast in it tell others about it and rejoice in it For by doing so, we're not boasting in ourselves, we're boasting in what God is doing through ourselves. Now, Paul makes the parameters of such boasting clear in verse 18. He says there nothing, it is nothing but what Christ has done through him in word and deed. Word and deed, a useful summary of uh, Christian ministry. The word and the work, both preaching and serving in practical ways, go together hand in hand, life and lip, word and work, preaching and doing. And what is more, this all has happened, verse 19, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. Paul, as an apostle, had a unique role and a unique empowering. But nonetheless, his example of being empowered by God's Spirit was written here to the Romans as an example for them to emulate. The Romans, too, would need the empowering of God's Spirit if they were to be gospel people, taking the gospel to all nations. They would need God's help. Roman Christians, then, are to be those who seek God's power and the empowering of God's Spirit for holiness, 
Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. We need to go on be being filled with the Holy Spirit, as Paul puts it in another place. Or as Charles Spurgeon said, why do I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Because I leak. So gospel people taking the gospel to all peoples can only be effective as they are spirit-empowered people. Well, Paul uh, concludes that he has fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ in this region where he's been working, which is a puzzling assertion. How can he have fulfilled the gospel, and in what sense? He clarifies uh, by saying that his ambition, his goal, has been to lay the foundation of the gospel, not preach on someone else's foundation. And so in that sense, he has fulfilled what he has been asked to do by planting churches in the major cities in the area as a foundation for the gospel. Now, Paul's strategy is a humbling and searching one for us all. If it is true that those who have not seen will see, and those who have not understood, not heard, will understand, if that is true, what's it say about those who've grown very familiar with the Bible? perhaps so familiar that they end up preaching the Bible. Uh, Roman Christians whose foundation in the gospel had already been laid through the preaching of others needed to be especially attentive to the Word so they did not get used to it, in the sense of accustomed to it, in the sense of, eh, heard that before. D.A. Carson uh, likes to quote a denominational leader of a denomination that moved unorthodox. It was actually a Mennonite denomination. He quotes this leader of a denomination that moved unorthodox, saying the following, first generation receives the gospel. It's a delight. It's an excitement. It's new. Could it really be that I'm forgiven? First generation. Second generation assumes the gospel. Well, that's how I grew up. I've heard lots of sermons about it. I think it's a good thing, this good news. Third generation, it's gone, denies the gospel. Now, the only way out of that downward spiral is to receive the gospel again. To, as uh, Revelation puts it, come back to your first love. Now, how do you do that? By listening 
to this bold reminder of the gospel of God for all nations. That is, you dig deep into the gospel, and then you share that gospel with others, and it becomes your identity. You look in the mirror first thing in the morning, you say, this is why I get out of bed. This is why I do what I do at business, at school, in church. It is your identity. And as others with whom you are sharing the gospel receive it, you catch some of their glowing embers of enthusiasm yourself, and you're renewed and revived, and you rekindle your first love. It's like going to a wedding, and you watch a newly married couple, and you go, I remember feeling like that. And so as you disciple someone, as you serve somewhere, as you share the gospel with a non-Christian, you rekindle your first love. So when Paul, as it were, got up first thing in the morning and looked in the mirror, And said to himself, why do I do what I do? His answer was the gospel. Why is Paul writing? That the Roman Christians might be gospel people taking the gospel to all peoples in the power of the Spirit and to the glory of God. Why is Paul doing all his ministry for the same reason? What what about you? Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees, a need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease, we who rejoice to know Thee, renew before Thy throne the solemn pledge we owe Thee to go and make Thee known. Soldiers of Christ, arise and put your armor on, strong in the strength which God supplies through His eternal Son. And then a less well-known hymn that expresses very clearly some of these themes that we have been thinking about together goes like this. There is a work for Jesus ready at your hand. Tis a task the Master, just for you, has planned. Haste to do His bidding. Yield Him serving true. There is a work for Jesus none but you can do. Well, let's pray together. Lord, for those of us who know much about you, it's easy to become so familiar with the things of you that 
we hardly pay them any attention. And yet, when we get up in the morning, we ask ourselves, why am I doing all this? What is really driving this? Is it really worth it? And here we come across uh, your servant, Lord Paul, who uh, says why he has written and why he is doing all that he is doing and what is more, glories in his service in Christ Jesus. Would you help us then to remember, to remember all that you have done what uh, you did for us on the cross, most of all. But also, Lord, what you have done through us. That Bible study group that we led that flourished. That child we trained who is now serving you on the mission field. that brother who needed correcting, that we took your courage in both hands and rebuked with gentleness and is now on the straight and narrow. That person that we shared the gospel with the first time who is now in the church, Lord, Lord, would you teach us to glory in what you've done through us? I pray for those here today who don't yet know you. Would you cause them to receive the gospel for the first time? And for those of us who do know you, would you cause us to receive it again and to live our lives for the great cause of the gospel. In the name of Jesus, amen.